0: podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Geyer. And uh, with me as always is Emily Shirey. And hopefully she doesn't have mush mouth like I do today. How are you doing, Emily?
1: <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing, Grayson?
0: I'm great. So uh, for those of you that aren't in the room with us, <laughs> we just spent about 10 minutes having a great chat um, that I recognized I was not recording as we got uh, deeper into it. So I don't think we'll be able to capture that magic. But uh but we'll get back to it. A couple of things I want to open with about what's going on around my place is we have, I'm going to mention this at the end as well, but I got a snake aversion coming up June 4th and, um, and it's a long summer. So you guys sign your dogs up and uh, avoid those snakes. I've got Althea on pups currently, and we had a litter of nine all spoken for. So it's fun watching those come around. We got another month or so with them before they all go home. Everybody's looking good, and I've taken on an apprentice for the summer um a guy by the name of Kyle that is a grown up with a real job <laughs> and uh and just has a real passion for for dogs so it's been enormously helpful uh and uh just to have somebody to help me get through the day to day you forget having an extra set of hands how efficient that makes you and we're uh, we're getting we're really getting through the force fetch nicely during the day and having some time in the day to accomplish some tasks that need accomplished around the farm. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. And you guys will see more of him if you've been keeping up with the social media, I've been putting my puppy Jonah through the force fetch and we've been posting daily, um, you know, about, about his progress and I'm really happy with how he's doing and, Kind of speaking of that, we came up with him and Kyle's young, his young dog, too, that's going through the program and doing really well. Big, big yellow boy. And we had a chance today um, to visit Emily uh, on her new grounds, her and Brendan uh, here at Horizon Retrievers in Davie County, North Carolina. It's a it's a really, really beautiful place. And we had a lot of fun training up here. We got to see Envy, who is Jonah's litter mate. Um, just crush it today on her marks. She's super fast and really accurate, and looked good handling everything. Jonah uh, looked like he looked like his owner, like <laughs> had no idea where he was or what he was doing. But we ran got, really hard. He ran which hard, which
1: is unlike his owner. <laughs>
0: no, no, no. Yeah, he came back, came back breathing heavy. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, we had a lot of fun. The setups were good. We've got plenty of room to to do all the basic work you would ever need to do and to stretch dogs out. And that's a lot of fun. I think we, we know some good trainers in this area Then our NAVDA friends train up here pretty regularly. So we should have some grounds between you and I, um, which is an hour long drive, by the way,
1: (laughs) (laughs) if you take the back roads, if you take
0: the back roads and I always do. So it's a, it's a bit away. So that for those of you wondering where we've been, that's one of the reasons, you know, for not having, um, kept up on our podcast too well is that Emily has moved a a, a bit further away. Um, but that's okay. Also just not a whole lot to talk about. That's new. Um, uh, I do, we have mentioned that I think, I think I'm going to wait till we're at least off the table transitioning to the ground. I'd like to have a retrieve centered podcast this summer sometime. So look forward to that, you know, and we will discuss, um, Force Fetch, I think, what did you call it? Force Fetch with a capital F or something like that? Or Big Fetch or something? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I'm sure we'll also, because been, if you've been keeping up with Horizon Retrievers, or I think Emily even posted on Short Hairs and Shotguns, a mm-hmm. lot of reward-based retrieve work going on with Envy, always with Ember. Always. All, um, and Blitz, of course. So good balance and also a good person to talk to about that. Do you have anything to interject while we're moving on with that?
1: Yeah. Um, no, just that there are a million ways to do it, and you don't have to be stuck in any boxes. And I don't think one way is right. I don't think one way is wrong. Just, well,
0: that's your opinion. So yeah,
1: that's just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No,
0: I think it's awesome. It, the contrast is is fun, and I've I've actually I mentioned it in one of my Instagram stories that normally, um, I'm I find it very valuable to use food when I'm training my puppies. But because Emily has a litter mate to Jonah, um, I've actually chosen to be very limited in my reward based training with him just out of curiosity's sake and just to see how he turns out. And I think I'm really happy with him. But I tell you, if you were here today, uh, Envy looked like an older dog. She looked like a much more polished version of uh, a young lab getting her work. And I think that's in no small part to the amount of effort and um, the, the amount of time that's gone into the reward based training, it's much, you know, it, you can create precision and, um, and I, i was happy to see that. I think it looked really good. She looks great. All your dogs look great. Thank you. And, um, I know you, you know, I cut you off. I don't think we'll capture the magic again, but I was really, really excited to see Ember's video, uh, from your trip to South Carolina. You got anything to chat about in regards to that trip?
1: Um, so over the weekend, Brendan and I took all the dogs down to Sheraw, South Carolina. Um, our friend, William Lentz, lives there, um, and he tr- has quite a few field trial retrievers. So we got to work with him and his trainer, and it was really my first time working with a um, retriever trainer outside of Grayson.
0: The only time she's ever worked with a retriever
1: <laughs> And so that was really neat to, you know, get a, um, some new perspective on things and to More than anything, when I got out of it was a little bit of confidence that... all this work isn't for nothing and that, you know, Ember held her own and certainly didn't make me look stupid. Like sometimes I feel doing all these things that are new for me. Um, She looked super with her T pattern. We ran some really hard pattern blinds. She did her very first cold blinds. She had some excellent marks in um, her first technical pond. And for a dog that hasn't been de-cheated, I was really thrilled with um, seeing the effort she put in out there to hang out with the big dogs in the white coats, So it was a lot of fun, and I'm super proud of her.
0: Well, she definitely looked like she belonged. That was really, really, really cool. So for those of you that haven't seen it, go um, to Emily's uh, Instagram or the Horizon Retriever Instagram or Facebook. I'm, you know, they're everywhere. But Ember looked like a million bucks, hitting the water super hard, running straight lines. Um, she looked great. So, you know, I, I, I think I feel really good with where all of my – personal dogs are at the moment. My Britneys are, of course, in their kind of low, slow, lame season. But I'm getting them all out. Everybody's been swimming. Everybody's getting kind of back in shape after the end of the season. Um, Spring season's always hard on my dogs for some reason because the hunting season's over and I'm getting a new batch of dogs in. And it's always a struggle because I'm dealing with bad birds and bad wind and bad cover and, uh, and I always feel like I neglect my my bird dogs during that time when I'm struggling with my client dogs through that stuff. And it's kind of nice to come into the summertime, have the pressure off of the bird work, move into the forest fetch, and uh, and just give my dogs workouts, exercise, fun, forget about the birds, get in the water. Reggie's hitting the water super hard and getting fit. I've got my new female pup that I really like, actually, Soybean. I don't know what we're going to call her. But it's got to be soybean. It might be just that we might stick with soybean, but she's just, she like, uh, she might drown, <laughs> but she has no problem getting in the water. It's just a matter not of what she afraid No, she has no problem getting in. What she does after she gets in is uh, anybody's guess, um, but it has not been swimming yet, so We're get, we're getting close, uh, but yeah, and so... Pete and Crockett are getting great workouts. Althea has been on the pups, but we had her out today running some pattern blinds. And of course, Joan is going through force fetch. Everything is good. Um, and going through force fetch and having my clients through, I, I I have been thinking a lot lately about consistency. And so I did want to kind of come up with a podcast because it's just been on my mind so much. And I've been thinking a lot about, you know, you, you hear a lot of, I, I guess, gurus, uh, whether it be self-help types or whatever for me personally. And I, for those of you that know me personally or have ever seen a picture of me or a video, uh, you might be surprised to find out that I follow <laughs> fitness gurus to some extent. Um, and I, I, the couple that I really like, they always have the same mesh- message message and, and consistency as that. And so I do spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of time working out for somebody that has my BMI. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but I, I, I learn a lot from it. I think I get a lot from those guys, uh, and the fitness industry seems to be full of, I think it's so competitive that the great communicators really stand out and they tend to be really great communicators because there's so many people in that industry that are trying to get in people's ears. And, uh, and so I, I just really, really learn a lot from, Guys like uh, Pat Flynn is one I really like, and Dan John, and they have both worked closely with a guy named Pavel Tushaline, who was a Russian kettlebell guy that I was exposed to pretty early um, in that movement and that kettlebell movement because of I was in the military and my unit kind of adopted some of that stuff. And I actually, I'm I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, but that's the way I'm going to say it. Uh, so whatever, but that. You're listening to those guys over and over and over again through the springtime, coming into the summer, uh, has just beat this message into my head that is consistency is key. Consistency is everything. And uh, something, an anecdote that I've always, always ended up sharing with my clients when they come and I'm doing my turnovers and I'm trying to express to them the importance of just spending time with their dog um, is about that time where I did come out of the military and... And I didn't really have a whole lot going on. I I had kind of a a menial job. I was going to the community college, get ready to go to uh, go take on an undergrad somewhere. But in the short term, there was, I just had time on my hands. And I had a good friend from high school uh, that, that I wrestled with. And he was a phenomenal wrestler. And I was a average to below average wrestler. And, um, he asked me if I would join him in coaching our old middle school's wrestling team. And so I did, I went out there to help him and he would take the lead. He's very technically proficient. He had a lot to offer the kids. Um, and of course I was just kind of the heavy, I could yell at him and stuff and, (laughs) and they didn't really care that much, but they, they had a lot of fun. And we all had a lot of fun. Um, that one season that I kind of took it over as he became, um, busier, he was finishing an engineering degree. He had a young family And so what ended up happening is I kind of started as his assistant and ended up as the head coach of that, you know, seventh and eighth grade wrestling team, all first time wrestlers, um, not a super competitive conference. You know, we're in North Carolina, not a great wrestling state. And, and here I am, I knew very, very fundamental stuff. And, uh, and I had a bunch of kids that didn't know much. So I spent a lot of time having them wrestle, you know, at 50%, 75% and sometimes live just keeping them within the rules. And what I learned is that just by the act of getting out there and being on the mat with one another and staying within the rules, they all became very proficient. They got good. They got fit because we worked out and they got good at managing their body weight and uh, developing proprioception and, um, and just general wrestling skills. And ended up that year, we started, it was very Bad News Bears-esque at the beginning. Um, They lost a lot. They kind of turned around through the middle of the season. And by the time we got to conference, the conference championship, they took third place. That's a lot to say that just the simple act of going out there and putting the work in every day, even though it was super fundamental made a big difference. And I can tell when a client comes to me and spends time with their dog, I always mention it to them. Um, I always, when I'm always appreciative, I don't need or want a client to read all the books in the world and to try and do all the training. What I want is for a client that's to spend a lot of time with their puppy um, or their young dog to put their hands on their dog, to work on, you know, very, Minimally invasive type of training, reward-based stuff, that stuff's always great. They develop a sense of timing. The dog develops engagement. um, But taking them out, the socialization stuff we always hear, carry your dog everywhere. I cannot express what an enormous difference there is between somebody that does that and then somebody that just kind of manages their dog you know, keep them lets out them of the way. in the backyard. Exactly. Especially the ones that stay out in the backyard all day. Big um, difference. Yeah. And they just learn to self satisfy. Dogs that self satisfy early, like that's a kind of sometimes a challenge. It's a shift to turn. And I'm usually somebody that says, don't, I don't care. Just bring me the dog. I don't want to spend a lot of time coaching you through the process before you get to me. But that's because I think it's not important what you're doing technically, it's important that you are doing something um and not just leaving your dog to their own devices anything to add to that in that regard
1: um yeah, no but i completely agree you know if i have dog people clients that come and even just a couple times they've introduced food or tried to get their dog on a place cot or something it makes a big difference i have a client dog right now whose owners took two whole lessons with me who spent less than 2 hours with me and the difference in her because they did something with her is unbelievable. And I mean, she's accomplished so much more with me in these three weeks, just because they spent a couple hours with her (laughs) over the course of her six months, you know, teaching her very introductory things and taking her for walks. And it's, it's been a big difference. Yeah.
0: And that's, that's it. I mean, it's the time, it's the time put in. And, um, you know, I, I, the things that I will say to my clients a lot, things that I repeat, you know, I always say, I can't make you the dog of your mind's eye. I can't produce that for you. I can't. You have to, if you've got this, for lack of a better term, a fantasy of what that perfect dog is to you, you know, if it's something you care deeply about, um, then it's going to depend on you to shape it into that. Because my dog, as good as she is and as well as she'll handle for anybody, at somebody else's side, won't be that dog for them. Um, it's, it's a very personal thing. And so choosing to get into it, but choosing to focus your time and your effort, not just learning all the, the intricate people spend so much time, they so much time and money on like seminars and stuff. And that's great. And, I, and learning high level training is fantastic, but learning it before you've managed to just go out and, uh, and develop a relationship with your dog and become a good natural trainer, which is you know, doesn't require any knowledge. It just requires the time and the effort. Um, and I always, you know, the reason I like to train gun dogs as opposed to pet dogs, and this is not a knock on every pet owner, the great majority of pet dogs that come to me, the clients or that came to me before I really switched, you know, they, they want me to train their dog and they want me to hand them back a trained dog. And they're not super interested in, um, in interacting with their dog the way I do. They just want me to hand it to them obedient. And most of the gun dog people I know, they want to be coached. They want to learn. They want to know the process. They Even if they are more interested in having the finished pro- product, they, they have a sincere interest in how the sausage is made. And they're willing to pay attention and listen to what I have to say. And so... Um, that's very important to me and that's why I will always remain here. It's, it's tough sometimes, you know, it's not the same, it's not nearly as lucrative as the pet business. Um, you know, but it's worth it to be able to have that high quality of client. And, and then of course my quality of life, uh, has a direct directly correlates to that. Um, anything to add there? Anything you hear me? I don't
1: think so. Okay.
0: Uh, I, I like, Quotes. So I just kind of made some notes. If you're, if you're listening to this, just go down, you know, go to the show notes and some of my favorite quotes about consistency from people from successful people are on there. Um, one my old man always said to me, and he misquoted Woody Allen, who, uh, is kind of became a pariah in society later, but, but we can all remember him when he made funny movies and everybody liked him. Uh, my old, my old man would always say 90% of life is just showing up. And, I, and he would say, yeah, Woody Allen said that. And so I like looked it up and looked it up and looked it up. And what I found was 80% of success is showing up. So I still like my dad's version better, but it's whatever. But I believe that. I think you show up every day. Some days suck. You show, you know, if you're working out, if you're training your dog, some days you don't make progress. Some days you backslide. I talk about that a lot in the force fetch program. Some days you you go in there and they, and they just have... The dog's having a bad day. We're making, we're trying to advance and we're asking a little more of them than they're ready to produce. We have a moment of panic. Um, and it takes us the rest of the session to just do our best to recover from that. Um, we have a hangover, uh, you know, we have a bad day, whatever, you know, but if you show up day after day, the general trend stays in the correct direction. And that's, what's important is we don't have, you know, it's like, it's like my buddy, who's a banker, always tells me, like, if you check your four hundred and one k every day, you're gonna panic. You don't look <laughs> at it. You're not retiring tomorrow. And the same idea. We're not. I'm not expecting to have Jonah um, challenge a master hunter tomorrow or a HRCH or whatever. You know, it would be my terminal with him. So I should stop expecting to see that kind of progress over the short term. Remember, it's it's a it's a lot of work to accomplish and it must be done over a long period of time. You, you cannot do it over a a short period of time. And so I like that one. So just the showing up part is important. Pavel, who I mentioned earlier, he has, uh, he has a phrase. And that came, I think he wrote a book called power to the people where he first introduced the phrase, greasing the groove. And I, I really, really love that concept. And, um, the concept is, and he'll, he'll, Throw this term around uh, that strength is a skill, and as such, it must be practiced. And so, the idea behind greasing the groove is you take, you become very technically proficient at lifting a weight a specific way. So, whether with kettlebells, you have these certain types of movements you make, you press it, you snatch it, you swing it. Um, There's, you know, whatever kind of exercise you're trying to do, you need to become good at that. You start with just enough weight to offer the resistance to allow you to become proficient. And then you go to a weight that is heavy, but that you're still able to do technically soundly. And with that, you just do it. You never do it to failure. You never exhaust yourself. You go in there, you put in five reps at a time and you do that multiple times. You do that over a long period of time. And what happens is your body develops neural pathways, neural pathways. Um, you're, you're not only within your muscles, but through your nervous system, all the way to your brain, you become very effective in making that specific movement. And when we think about dog training um, and the phases of dog training and the way I, and, and this is obviously this is kind of pigeonholing some things, but I've always liked these four phases of dog training, the acquisition, fluency, generalization, and proofing put in that order. And if we think of acquisition, as just learning how to do the thing, technically proficient fluency. There's no period of time. There's no time limit on the fluency phase. You know, once you become technically proficient, you're done becoming technically proficient, but you can never become too fluent. You know, you can sit there forever, you know, and if you go to generalization and you're not ready, you'll know it. Um, And and it never hurts to fall back into that fluency phase. So if I'm force-fetching and I've got my dog holding and not dropping um, and I'm beginning to go to reach, then sitting on that spot for three, four, five, eight sessions doesn't hurt. Every one of them, in my opinion, I'm greasing that neural groove. Uh, I'm creating a specific neural pathway for that dog to lean on when they panic. There's and and when, that they can't think their way through the process. They can rely on conditioning, which is that that's what dog training is, and and so to get there requires us to show up every day and be very consistent and to not try to take too big a leaps in our training. And and so um, I love that. I, there's more. I've put a lot of thought into the greasing the groove part, but I think for me personally, it's in within the fluency phase that greasing the groove for the dogs really really truly happens when we get to generalization we're kind of playing our sport you know we're um maybe not at a higher level but it's like we you know if i'm if i'm a soccer player i learn how to do the basic things soccer players do as i become fluent i drill and i drill and i drill and i get better at passing i get better at sh- you know kick shooting goals. I have no idea. I'm not a soccer player. I don't even know about, I don't know why I chose that. I don't know the nomenclature. I played football as a kid. I wasn't good at that either, but here we are. So either way, you're, you're drilling, you're drilling, you're drilling, you play your game. You learn to do all of those skills and whether you're practicing live or whatever that, that you've drilled and become fluent at and you do them against competition. You do them in new environments. You do them um, in front of a crowd. You do them when time is an issue and you're and you're racing the clock. Uh, that now makes you more proficient because now you're having to learn to practice those skills that you've become very good at in less than optimal conditions. And that little bit of adversity helps us um, develop resilience. And so sometimes when we're making our advances in, in force fetch, I can see parallels to that. And then I think with proofing, um, I think we're actually practicing harder than we're expected to play the game. If that makes sense. So, you know, once we become good, once we've played the game long enough, and then we go up and and say, we go to practice and we uh, run Oklahoma's if we're football players, there's never a time where you're going to have to run head on into somebody. And, and usually if you're like me, they, the coaches always thought it was funny to put the smaller guy on the football team up against the biggest guy on the football team um, in the Oklahoma drills. But you know what? It taught me uh, that, um, it wasn't the end of the world. Uh, and it taught me how to be resilient. Yeah. You know, when I, when those kind of things would happen, I don't think the coaches did it because it would be fun. I think they did it because they knew it would develop resilience in me and it was a life skill. And there's, there's so many times in my life that through sport or through the military or through dumb shit I did to get in trouble, uh, but, but survived, I became a more resilient individual. Um, I think we have the power to do some of that with our dogs. And we have the power to do that by slowly uh, adding adversity to our training setups in that proofing phase. So we kind of got out of the consistency where I think it's so important in the fluency phase, but I wanted to kind of express how all of that fell together through the four phases. You got anything to add to that before I kind of move on with that?
1: No, I think that was covered a lot.
0: Um, yeah, Another quote that I really like Um is from a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, and he is a writer that I really like. So I got to him a lot. And actually, the, the book has pretty bad reviews. I think for people looking for self help, I love it, um, but it's not. I don't approach it as a self help deal. I really have always liked Stephen Pressfield's writing. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with him, he wrote a book called Gates of Fire, which was if you if you watched the popularized movie. Um, 300, which was about Thermopylae uh, in ancient Greece, the Spartans and the uh, Persians and the Athenians and all that. Um, he wrote a book about that, and it was a uh, uh, amongst um, infantry and, and, and light infantry in the Marine Corps. That book uh, w- was kind of a cult deal. So everybody had a dog-eared copy, and it got passed around the barracks, and that's how I was introduced to it, and I just still read it. Uh, Almost yearly. I love the book. So Stephen Pressfield, who wrote that, has this. um, This is the other secret that real artists know and wannabe writers don't. When we sit down each day and do our work, power concentrates around us. The muse takes note of our dedication. She approves. We have earned favor in her sight. When we sit down and work, we become like magnetized rod that attracts iron fillings. Ideas come insights accrete showing it's again, it's just the showing up when you show up and you put yourself, if you want whatever, I I think to me personally, when I watch great reward based trainers sit down and do set sessions with their dogs and there's so sometimes so many reps go into capturing one specific behavior and getting it just right. And then you have that Eureka moment. Um, and then the eureka moments come faster with that dog, and then they come faster with every dog. And then you see great trainers, and I there's a couple of great communicators out there, but I've never seen anybody truly capture the magic of what happens in a with a between a dog and a great reward based trainer and be able to express that um, at the end of the day. You have anything to add to that? Because you truly are. I mean, you're a, you're that's your bag. And, oh
1: well, thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, I would just like to shout out Sarah Bruschi. You know, I'm such a fangirl of, um, if you want to see some superior reward-based training, look up zoom dog life with Sarah Brewski. She, she, it's so easy to see all of those eureka moments because she is a phenomenal trainer.
0: Yeah. And that's, so that's the muse, you know, is, you know, when he talks about the muse, it's, you sit down and you're writing, you have writer's block. And as a trainer, I feel like I've dealt with that several times and I've, I've, you know, you can call it what you want, call it Dunning Krugers, call it whatever. There have been times where I'm standing in the middle of the field. I've been doing this a long time now, relatively long time. At least I'm old. Um, if that if that's worth anything. And I'll be standing in the field and I'm working a dog and I'm three or four weeks into a program and I'm just like, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, and and I'm not good at this. I and I, I I don't know why I'm here. I can't figure out how to get to where I want to go. And I show up the next day and I have a fantastic day, and the dogs all advance, you know. But you, you can't get to the great days without putting in the days where you feel like you don't know anything and you feel like a fraud um, and you feel like things aren't coming easily. Uh, but then you show up the next day and you keep doing the thing that's you, you that I. Bob Owens actually, you know, we had a little DM exchange the other day and we were talking about force fetch and he just said, you know, you got to trust the process. And even though everybody's process is slightly different, he's right. It's not necessarily, you know, that you do it the way exactly the same way somebody else does it. It's that you do it with consistency and clarity and the objective objective is is clear signals to the dog so that not only do they understand what you're asking of uh, what you're asking of them they understand immediately without thought how to perform that task. Um, so I love that. Uh, I, I did put a note in here and and please go read it. I'm not going to be able to make it happen on my computer at the moment, but I also, uh, in the show notes, um, I, I have a link to an article by a guy named Dan John, who's another fitness guy I like. And it's, Uh, three ways to build consistency is this article he wrote. And I thought that was really, really cool. Just about surrounding yourself with, uh, with people like that, having spaces to go to and be consistent, you know, to how to set traps for yourself is the way I would put it. You know, I need for me personally, I'm not, I've never been super money motivated. I'm not somebody that finding motivation is intrinsic for me. And, Making sure that I have somebody to be accountable to—that's not necessarily just myself. Making sure I have a space to go to to ritualize my work is a big deal to me. So those kind of things are really important. So check that out. And uh, and the final quote I put actually comes from a dog trainer, and I posted this yesterday. It was a guy named Martin Deely who, uh, was a, he's an Englishman that came to America and he was instrumental in the founding of the IACP, which is the international association of canine professionals, which I am a member of. And I suggest, um, anybody out there that's listening, that's a pro or considering becoming a pro or just loves the art of dog training and doesn't want to, uh, to lose our rights as dog trainers. Um, should go to that organization, find out what it's about, and and support it because it's a great one. But Martin Dealey did say when it comes to training a dog, five minutes a day Monday through Friday is better than 30 minutes a day on Saturday. And I think that was a really profound statement, and I think it's absolutely true. So five minutes Monday through Friday is 25 minutes beats the tar out of putting in the extra five minutes in one full session on a Saturday. You're not, all you're going to serve to do is frustrate yourself, frustrate your dog, wear your dog out, and you won't make incremental progress. Um, but five minutes a day, you absolutely will. And and just capture those specific things you're trying to uh, to get out of your dog. And, you know, I, I'm i going to wrap this up. There's not a whole lot More to do it, but Emily, do you have anything? Yeah,
1: I just have a few things to say. Um, If you're looking for ways to get your five minutes a day, everyone has to feed their dog. What I would recommend is. Take out a handful of kibble every time you feed your dog and do something with it, whether it's recall or place or sit or teaching some funny trick. If you follow me on Instagram, I just um, taught Ember to shut the bathroom door, which I think is (laughs) the funniest and most practical skill she has (laughs) of all the things she knows. It cracks me up and I love it. So take a handful of kibble every time you feed your dog, work with them. That'll get you two and a half minutes twice a day. That'll easily be your five minutes a day. If you're looking for um, some tips on working with food, Grayson and I have a reward-based podcast. I want to say it's maybe podcast three, maybe podcast four. Um, You can find that on his website or on wherever you're listening to this from, but check that podcast out. We talk a lot about reward systems and maybe you'll get some ideas there. And Finally, if you're looking for some motivation, Brendan and I started a Patreon, and for five dollars a month, um, every Monday I post a video called Monday Motivation, and it's just random things that I'm doing with my dogs, and maybe that'll help everyone stay inspired to do random things with their dogs.
0: I I've enjoyed that, um, and it does it helps me, and I I, I am not practicing currently much reward based training. It's something that I will absolutely revisit at some point in my life. And it's not because I agree or disagree with it. It's it's just simply a matter of, I don't even want to call it efficiency because I think reward-based training makes you more efficient. I think it makes the dog more efficient. I think from a learning-to-learn perspective. Absolutely. Um, it's just the, the, what I need to accomplish and the timelines I'm on, it makes more sense in my opinion for me to just kind of move through it compulsively and it works. And it gives my, it really what it allows me to do is hand the dog over to people um reward based training is a skill and maintaining reward based training is a skill and it's a, i i think that's why it makes such a wonderful place to start for most people in training because if you develop that skill set when you move into more compulsive methods of training they come easier but that all that said to say um you know nothing is going to make you better at being consistent than getting into reward based training. And that Monday motivation is key. Um, so, so subscribe to that Patreon and and check that out. It's a real thing. And just to wrap up, I'll leave you guys all with what I leave all of my clients with at the end of our turnover, which is that the real magic is in the ritual. What I want my clients to do when they go home is not to try and learn a bunch of commands. I want you to develop general control of your dog. And so just like Emily said, it's about showing up daily with your, with your dog's normal food that they would take, uh, at any feeding time. It's, it's what they are sustained on. Um, and you can train with that. That's a wonderful thing. Building desirable behaviors and concepts as a part of daily life thresholds. Um, You know, whether it be coming out of the kennel, whether it be coming out of the crate, whether it be, you know, accepting uh, the collar when it's time to put it on. These little things, if we do them, they they make big differences in our life and they make a big difference to your dog and it creates that general control. Um, So, you know, it's it's, we're not going very deep into that, but that's all I want from my people is like, hey, don't let your dog become a self-satisfier. Don't let your dog learn how to to be bored and find ways to entertain itself. Isolate it when it's unsupervised. When you can kind of semi-supervise it, put it in a controlled place. And then, when you're willing to give it a hundred percent of your attention and interact with it with intent, then let it be free and loose on the ground. And I promise you, if you just do that with any dog on the planet, you're gonna, um, you're really, really gonna develop a bond, a relationship, and you're gonna have control and a dog that's enjoyable to be around. That's right. So do all those things. Uh, report back to us, um, get back, and I we're pretty full for the rest of the year. There may be some uh, wiggle room. I don't think so. Probably not. <laughs> uh, but certainly, you know, if you're if you're looking ahead, uh, I'm booking for January of 2023 um, for my for my board and trains. Uh, I am trying to do more lessons. Anybody that's interested in maybe. Working on a force fetch from home. Check out my Instagram. Check out that video. And I am kind of booking some short Zoom or FaceTime, um, just problem solving deals around that. Uh, otherwise, you know, I hope you guys have a wonderful summer and uh, we will be back with a retrieve centered podcast. Thank you, Emily. It was awesome talking to you. See you, Grayson. Bye bye. Hey, listeners. Nick Larson here, host of the Birdshot podcast.